Hello everyone, welcome to today's IT Showcase webinar on Windows 10 deployment. My name is Robert Van Winkle and I'm here with Brent Barnett. I've worked at Microsoft for the past 20 years and have been working with the Windows product team on how we deploy uh, Windows internally since about the Windows 7 timeframe. Brent? As Robert mentioned, my name is Brent Barnett. I'm a program manager at Microsoft IT. I manage our internal Windows deployments. So our agenda for today, we're going to start and talk about transitioning to Windows as a service. We'll talk about compatibility, user-initiated deployment, and user-focused marketing. Robert, you want to give us a start on transitioning to Windows as a service? Sure. Let's talk about transitioning to Windows as a service. Like most customers, we traditionally deployed Windows through either the help desk or from users going and using a, a service to do a clean install migrate their data, replace their applications, and it was quite a lengthy process. It took us from anywhere from a year for Windows 7 to eight months uh, with Windows 8. And in that transition from 8 to 8.1, we were still deploying 8, and the product group came to us and said, hey, we need to start deploying uh, Windows 8.1. And we had a great discussion about talking about we couldn't do two major deployments at the same time. That's where we were the first ones to implement a, a proof of concept around in-place upgrade. And that's been a watershed moment for us and all for, also for customers on how they deploy. Through the upgrade, we're able to quickly migrate to a new OS. All the data remains on the device. All the applications are still on the device. And there's a Windows old, so if it, there's a rollback issue. Um, we've also been able to remove the complexity, improve the user experience, and through all of this, we've reduced our help desk calls dramatically, getting almost to the point, or actually, we're, act, we're lower than the, uh, the volume we had in a Windows 8.1 uh, update that was a service pack. So this has been a real positive move forwards for us, and I think customers are going to find the same advantages to do an in-place upgrade on deploying Windows as a service. So one of the key things we had to do differently as we've moved to Windows as a service since those releases are coming out more often is we really had to change how we adopt. And the first piece we did is we built a model around uh, uh, looking at uh, solutions from a proof of concept uh, phase to a pilot phase to broad deployment. And that's helped us out from the deployment and also from the perspective of each of the features. We do the same thing with each of those. So we get an OS set up in the proof of concept phase within IT, then we start adding features on there, validating features as a separate proof of concept, then we add that out to a pilot to a small group within, uh, within, within Microsoft. Our pilot group we call internally the, the Elite Program. We have about 25,000 employees that have volunteered to be a part of that uh, uh, first experience program, and they get to choose what applications they're participating in. And then as we validate all of the features, all of the, the OS functionality, we then are able to take it to broad and have a very successful uh, deployment broad. So the key difference between how Microsoft IT does this and what, a what we'd recommend for customers to do is we're deploying so early on, as soon as the release is released, we're doing the broad deployments. So we're leveraging internal builds early on in our proof of concepts, and then we're also um, using insider 
builds for doing the pilot deployments with the users where we see customers are more than likely deploy the current branch from business for their broad deployments and as they're going through and doing their pilots they would be using the current branch so they can be validating on release code and then doing proof of concepts with the insider program with their IT staff. Um, so those are the main differences between the Microsoft IT approach and how customers should be approaching uh, deployments. It's the very same process of doing a proof of concept pilot and doing broad deployments. We talked a little bit about our approach on the previous slide. Here are three key things we've really had to, we've done to really streamline Windows as a service in our adoption. First off is we built this early adopter community. And we talked about that, that's what we call our elite. It's an opportunity for people that are really passionate about technology, want to adopt early, and would like to help validate how we do stuff, um, have an easy way and an easy avenue to get in. It also provides us with great feedback on what's working, what's not working. We're able to do scenario validation, and we're able to get user acceptance testing done at that. Um, this is a feature that we don't only use just for Windows. We use it across all of the Microsoft products we roll out, and we've also started using it with some of the products that are um, consumer releases and some of our line of business applications and validating that those work in a pre-release experience. Second key thing we've done differently is really looking at how do we provide user support. And it's not always that support through the help desk that's the best way to provide support. Users like to use social and other mechanisms helping each other. Um, and then we're also working on early detection systems using telemetry to understand where issues are at and then proactively providing solutions. But looking at support the way a user wants to get it versus um, going to the help desk has really helped us because through the social mechanisms, we found out about issues that we would never find out from the help desk. Um, little issues, nagging things, people helping each other have led to providing better overall solutions. And then really key, as we've gone through and done the broad deployments, is having a mission control. Microsoft's a large corporation, we're very global, and so like a lot of you, you have users around the world. So we do three mission control calls on a daily basis for the first two weeks. It's a 30-minute sync session. We follow the sun, so we do an early call to cap capture uh, Europe and Middle East and Africa, and then we do an evening call for um, Asia, and then we do an afternoon call for the Americas. And in that call, we have our IT managers in region, IT support staff, and help desk techs providing insight on how the deployment's going. We generally target Tuesdays and Thursdays as our deployment days. So after the first two weeks, we have a lot of adoption going on. Naturally, people going ahead and doing self-installs. So those are early in the first two weeks. After that, it pretty much revolves around the mandatory enforcement dates, which are on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so we'll do a three times a day call on Tuesdays and Thursdays, allowing people to focus on their other parts of their, the work that they have to do. But this has really proven as a, a real valuable lesson learned for us because we're able to identify issues early on, we're able to resolve those within 24 hours, and so we're able to continue on the deployment without causing uh, major issues and actually improving the user experience as we found out. So Brent, uh, we're moving to compatibility. Can you share some stuff with us? Sure, I'd love to do that. So every customer I meet with has some concerns with Windows as a service and compatibility. So I'm gonna share with you today a little bit about how we look at compatibility and uh, 
things we do to um, address that in our environment. So we have an application portfolio in Microsoft IT. It's about 1,600 applications. Um, of that, uh, we think about 250 of those are critical. And I'll tell you how we kind of came to that determination. Um, our environment, it's 96% browser-based applications and 1% are universal applications. We made the decision in our environment to set Edge as the default browser. Um, as Microsoft, we believe that we should be using our products, um, continually driving feedback to the product teams to improve those. Um, and so we made that decision with Edge. Um, we also use a site list. Um, so if we find a site has a compatibility issue with Edge, uh, we can use a site list to make it so that site will automatically open in Internet Explorer. This has been a great feature for us, and it's addressed um, any compatibility concerns that we've had with Edge and provides users with the most seamless experience possible. Um, as I mentioned, our application portfolios, um, we've got about 1,600 applications. Um, we don't test all of those with each release. The reality is it's not possible, and it's not necessary. So we've made the decision to only test our business-critical applications. We determined what was business-critical by working with the dis different business process um, units, um, and they really defined for us these are the critical applications um, that we need to run the business. So we have a dedicated test team that tests those every single month, um, and by doing that, um, they're able to do this on pre-release builds, um, and that gives us confidence when we go to deploy that we're not going to have any issues. Um, one of the other things we do is we kind of keep a database that tells us what the applications are and the common components across them. So if we do find issues with one application, we look at those components and maybe bring in additional applications for testing. Um, this allows us to kind of get a feel for what the scope of any particular issue is um, that we're um, experiencing. Um, as you can see, uh, we have our pass rates and number of uh, applications tested per operating system. Um, as you can see with the creator's update, we tested significantly fewer applications. This was due to a reduction um, in applications as a result of retiring a bunch of applications that we acquired um, with an acquisition. Um, so with the next release that comes out, we'll put new applications into that testing pool, um, and it'll probably increase to be similar to the previous um, operating systems. So the way we do application compatibility testing is we leverage virtual machines. So the advantage of doing this is it allows our application teams to focus on testing their applications and not installing an operating system on a physical device. This creates a lot of time savings and really benefits the application owners. Um, one of the other things we do, as I mentioned, we do a monthly test pass on pre-release builds. Um, during that monthly test pass, they may decide to refresh the build with the later build. This allows our app teams to do regression testing um, so even in a single test cycle, they may find a bug and may find it's already fixed. The other thing it allows our application teams to do is to try out new features. So as Windows introduces new features, they can test those out with their applications and keep their applications up to date with the latest technologies. Um, so we have a virtual machine client farm. Um, it provides about 300 virtual machines using 10 servers. Um, that's going away, and we're shifting from physical servers um, to using Azure um, for our virtual machines. So that's going to give us scalability, and we're not going to have to maintain these physical servers anymore, which is a huge benefit. So do you need to test quality updates? Um, here at Microsoft, we stopped formally testing quality updates on our line of business applications back in the Windows 8 timeframe. 
Um, we did some analysis and found that we weren't really getting much value from it. We weren't finding issues, um, so we decided to stop doing that. Um, what we do today is we have about 20,000 devices that we deploy pre-release updates to um, to get validation prior to broad deployment. Um, any issues that come up during this testing phase, um, we have the help desk set up to take those. Users can also provide feedback using the Windows Feedback app and Jammer. Um, we do have to have safety valves in place. Um, users can opt out of this pilot program. Um, it does cause some reboots of their devices, so if that's um, an issue for them, we do give them an option to opt out. Um, and then if there's issues, they can also roll back the update. So the risk is minimal to the user um, in that situation. Um, some of the lessons learned, we really haven't found any issues with our line of business applications and quality updates. So it's been something where we don't feel the need to test, and I don't think we'll um, go back to doing that. Um, we do need more real-time insights um, and visibility to what goes on to understand issues when there are issues. Um, and we do have to have a plan in place to address issues. So we haven't had any with our line of business applications, per se, um, but we have had updates that have caused issues with services like VPN. Um, so we do have a plan in place to roll back updates or to maybe provide a fix um, following an update that causes a problem. So the most exciting thing, I think, with Windows that's going on today is the work that they're doing with analytics. Um, Windows Upgrade Readiness was really the first analytics solution that was provided. Uh, so they're a little bit of further down the road with their solution. Um, it's a great tool that provides insights into your environment about the applications that are running, um, the drivers, um, and there's no extra cost to organizations to get this. Um, so this is part of you know, running Windows, is getting this as a service. The benefits, it allows you to identify applications that are going to have compatibility issues. So we recently completed the Creators Update deployment. And as part of that deployment, we were able to use the Upgrade Readiness tool um, to remove devices with known issues. The good thing about that is it gives users a better experience. You know, so they're not going to have failures. We get a higher setup success rate. Um, and it also allows us to know what the issues are in our environment that we need to go investigate and remediate. Um, so the tool has been really useful for that. Um, it integrates with Configuration Manager. Um, to really make that a seamless experience into our, into our deployment processes. Um, and really that lays the groundwork for doing things in the future, like automating um, solutions. So really taking some of the burden off IT and making it simpler um, and making it more cost effective to have Windows 10 in your environment. Uh, one other thing it allows us to do is we have other teams that do testing in IT. Um, we have a team that does some hardware testing, um, our app compat testing. This really gives them additional information to go through and prioritize test cases um, and really use the resources that they have um, to get the most benefit from them. And so if you haven't, aren't familiar with the Windows Analytics solutions, I'd really encourage you to go look at those. I really think that they're key in really delivering Windows as a service um, and reducing complexity and making your deployments easier. All right, now Robert's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, user-initiated deployments. Thanks, Brent. This is a really interesting area. So this is a significant transition that most enterprise customers are going to have to undertake. Traditionally, you've probably done deployments where you did a new PC uh, refresh, and that's how users got a new PC, how users got a new OS. Um, this has transitioned to where now the user initiates an install, or we're pushing the install through Config Manager. We found both approaches to be very valuable, 
because there are some users that want to go ahead and install on their schedule or install now. And then there's other users that could care less about it, just keep my system up to date. So we've been able to enable both of those approaches by using um, Config Manager Operating System Deployment. And in the, in the user-initiated approach, the user just goes up to Software Center where they're able to get other applications, use the same process, they go to the Operating System tab, and they're able to click on Install Creators Update. Um, in the other case where the user doesn't want to be bothered by going out there, we're able to set up a, a task for them, we're able to enforce a mandatory install date, and we're able to drive that installation on their devices. The coolest part about the Config Manager deployment is with the re latest releases, it now does pre-caching of the build locally on the device, so when we start the deployment, it doesn't have to wait for that um, uh, OS to come down on the device. And then it also has been enhanced with the new uh, user, new notification for the user, so they can choose to install now, they can ha schedule the reminder for them later, and, um, or they can you know, ignore for, for the time being until the mandatory comes in. Now let's talk about how do we get this set up. It's really easy. With the OSD uh, task sequencing, we're able to set up pre-task sequences so we can validate, is there, are there issues, is this device ready, does it have, uh, meet the minimum drive, drive space requirements. We have post-task sequences so that we can add applications or do other tasks after we've upgraded to the next version. And we found we needed that for the Windows 7 when we moved from Windows 7 to 10 originally. We needed to do some uh, proactive work in the pre-task sequence to remove an old VPN client. And then the post-task sequence, we were adding in the new VPN client. And then the best of all thing is on a failed task sequence, we can actually add in some code, we can add in some task sequences if it goes into a rollback condition. So in that scenario I just shared with you, we had to upgrade to a new VPN client. For us, fortunately, that client was compatible with Windows 7 and um, also Windows 10. But if it wasn't, we could actually roll back to the previous uh, VPN client. So when they came back up on Windows 7, they were up and operational. Um, you'll notice in here the setup uh, commands were very simple. We're not going ahead and we're not adding a whole bunch of uh, complexity to this. And then we just leverage, for the most part, Windows setup. So it takes care of doing all the upgrades. Um, it takes care of doing all the data migration. It takes care of secure boot, BitLocker, everything else. And by using this process, um, we have minimized um, any uh, data loss. I know when we created our images and we would do the deployments, we always had some data issues um, because we had to go through and create um, the data migration solutions and all of that. And with Microsoft, everybody is an admin on their box. We have rather complex configurations, so we always found something that caused an issue. We never lost data. Um, however, we had to have the help desk involved and help recover data for users. With this, um, using upgrade, in-place upgrade, um, we're not having to do any um, help desk calls on data, data uh, any help desk calls on data. One thing you'll notice in our task sequence area is we have 10 different images. And there were 10 different upgrades. 
And the reason we have 10 different upgrades is we have to support both 32-bit and 64-bit. And then being Microsoft, we've chosen five languages as the native OS language that we support. So you have to make sure that if you're supporting those native OS languages, you have to upgrade language for language. Now, if, you have, if you're just using um, language packs, that's not a concern. If you set a standard all OSs are English as the base OS and then you use language packs on top of that, then you'll only have to support either 32-bit and 64-bit if you still have 32-bit devices in your environment. Or if you're lucky enough and you've moved everything to 64-bit, you can just do 64. So Brent, can you tell us about Hello for Business? Yeah, sure. Just going to talk a little bit about a couple of features um, that you get with Windows 10. I just picked a couple of them, a couple of them out here. Uh, Windows Hello for Business is one of them. It was introduced um, with the November update. And it's really the first step in replacing passwords with a key-based credential that's available using a PIN or biometrics. And so the keys can be generated using the hardware TPM on the device, or it can use the OS as a last resort. It really looks a lot like a virtual smart card or a physical smart card. And one of the cool things is it enables single sign-on. So you can access your cloud resources and on-prem resources with single sign-on. And that works with Azure Active Directory. Um, also enables Windows Hello. So you can log in with your face, fingerprint, um, really get that biometric um, login experience. Another thing is it enables you to um, authenticate to your VPN, so there's no need to provide additional credentials after logging into the device. Um, on the next slide, we're going to talk a little bit here about another feature that's really cool in Windows 10, and that's the Auto Trigger VPN. So, cool thing about Auto Trigger VPN is users don't need to do anything to connect. It automatically happens in the background. So, it works with Windows Hello for Business, as I mentioned on the previous slide. Um, this is actually what we use to replace direct access. Um, so before Auto Trigger VPN, Microsoft IT had two VPN solutions, um, traditional VPN client and direct access. Um, so Auto Trigger VPN came in and replaced direct access. So that reduced the complexity um, from an infrastructure standpoint, and it also um, provides users with a better experience. Um, so there are three different types of connection rules that you can use with Auto Trigger VPN. The first being application triggers, and you can configure that to trigger um, on any desktop applications or UWP apps. Um, you can do name-based triggers, um, so any of your domain name resolution stuff um, can be configured. So a short name, um, a fully qualified domain name, a suffix, so you could do something like asterisk.microsoft.com. Or you can configure it so anytime there's a um, DNS lookup, um, it automatically connects. And the third option is always on. So anytime a user signs in, there's a change of network connectivity, or the device screen turns on, it automatically connects. So there's some flexibility on how you configure it, um, but it's definitely provided us um, with some flexibility um, and provided users with a great way to connect to the corporate resources that they need to do their jobs. Um, so, I want to talk a little bit about, we get these features, we're doing these deployments, um, how do we get users um, engaged in using these new things um, so they can be more productive? Um, so with each release that we do, um, we put together an internal marketing plan. And part of this marketing plan is um, we have screens throughout the company, um, and we'll display slides um, like the, the following ones that we're going to show. So 
you know, encouraging people to use AutoVPN, encouraging people to use Edge, so the new extensions that are in there that block advertisements and those kinds of features. Um, getting people to use Windows Hello so they can just sign in using their face. Uh, those types of things, we really want to get these things out in front of users so that they know they're there um, and they're excited about them and can go configure them on their devices and start using them. So this is just some of the slides that we've used in our marketing campaign, um, and they've been pretty effective. Um, and then on this slide, just want to really talk about some of the lessons learned um, from doing the deployments that we've done. So the first one from a user experience standpoint, and Robert talked a little bit about doing pre-caching. Um, prior to the 1702 release of Configuration Manager, um, this involves some custom IT work to implement. Um, with the 1702 release, they made it just a simple checkbox in the task sequence. Great improvement, um, reduces possibilities for errors. So definitely something uh, you want to take advantage of. Uh, adopting an agile process, also important. Uh, follow a process, starting with a small proof of concept, expanding to a larger pilot. Um, and then getting to broad deployment across the company. Uh, it's important to build a culture where you can fail fast and move forward um, and celebrate failures um, as they come along. And don't forget the user community. So as Robert mentioned, we have an elite program. Um, they provide really good feedback to us about what's working, what's not working. And then we can work with the various engineering teams um, to make sure that by the time we're ready to go um, broadly, most of those issues are resolved and users can have a very positive experience. So next with compatibility, it's important to not test everything, just focus on your business critical apps. So maybe it's just the top 10%. It's going to vary from organization to organization, um, but don't test everything. The other thing is take advantage of the Windows Analytics tools that are being provided to you. They're robust, they provide information, um, they allow you to do your jobs better and easier, um, and as those continue to evolve, they're going to be a great resource. And then, is there a day when testing is no longer necessary? So as you're going through, ask yourself the question, what value are we getting from the testing? Can we do less? I know that with the creator's update, um, we're looking at our hardware testing that we're doing, and we're starting to have conversations about doing less testing on drivers and those types of things. So continue to reevaluate that as you go. Um, and then with Windows setup, in-place upgrades are definitely the way to go. Um, it migrates all the users' data, settings. It's all there for them. They don't need to reinstall applications or do anything. It's wonderful. Um, it manages BitLocker and Secure Boot for you. If you're using a third-party encryption tool, um, you may need to do some work in the task sequence to disable it, run the upgrade, and then re-encrypt re the device. Um, but if you're using BitLocker, no need to do that. It's automatically taken care of for you. Um, and if there are issues, there's a graceful return to the previous OS using the built-in rollback functionality. So that really reduces risks for users if something goes wrong. And then finally, with Config Manager and OSD, let Windows Setup do all the heavy lifts, lifting. Um, try to minimize what you put into the task sequence. Um, it just, you don't need to add unnecessary um, complexity um, to it if you don't need to. Um, during the upgrade, we do temporarily um, point the devices to Windows Update uh, so they get all the dynamic updates and users can have the best upgrade experience possible. The other thing to be aware of is um, Config Manager Client Help. We always have some percentage of the population where the Configuration Manager Client isn't healthy, and this is going to prevent those devices from being updated. 
So it's something that we have to be very aware of and make sure that processes are in place to try and remediate that um, so that we don't have too many failures um, in the environment from that. Um, and then the other thing that we just do is be aware of what's going on just from a company standpoint, um, what are the holidays, um, and just trying to avoid those. So with the creators update, we're really lucky. Timeline-wise, it just there weren't any holidays, big corporate events or anything we needed to plan around. But sometimes there, we are, and sometimes we'll you know, maybe take a couple weeks off um, just to make sure that we're not impacting users um, when they're on vacation or away from the office. So I think, Robert, you're going to walk us through kind of where we are today and where we're going in the future. Yeah. So thanks, Brent. So um, this is quite a chart, and I'm not going to read through everything, uh, but I'm going to just try to uh, paint with a broad brush stroke. We're moving to uh, modern management. Um, we're going to get away from using traditional um, Active Directory and move to Azure Active Directory. We actually have already implemented that, and we have both currently running. And then the goal is to move from Config Manager to Intune. Um, we've already started that transition for all of our uh, mobile devices, and we're starting to do that with our traditional devices. And the biggest gate that's holding us back right now from moving everything there is getting some additional security policies. Um, those are coming in the next releases, and we'll be adding that in and starting that migration. The OS image, today we build a customized IT image. And with the creator's update um, came some of the provisioning tools so we can start looking at how do we start using a generic OEM image, have the devices come in, go through an Azure Active Directory connection and get Intune set up, and then we apply the specific uh, applications they need for doing their job. Um, which is quite different than building a custom image. It's going to help us reduce the complexity, and just about any device can come into our environment, even a BYOD device, and be optimized for the work environment. Um, OS updates, traditionally, like you, um, we use uh, Config Manager for doing that. Managing it either for, through WSUS for um, quality updates, and then using Config Manager OSD for feature updates. The future is using Windows Update for Business for managing both of those for us. So we will be switching to Windows Update for Business for quality updates here shortly. And then our longer term vision is to move to that for our feature updates also. That will be the only way we can manage the OS updates through Intune um, since Intune does not have an OS deployment uh, capability. And then reporting. Today we use a lot of customized IT reports. And the future is to move to Windows Analytics solutions. And so we're working with the product team to convert the insights we found from that we need for running an enterprise um, and getting those solutions added into Windows Analytics. That's an iterative process. Um, as, and as they roll those out and learn um, from customers and also from IT, Microsoft IT, here are the features and functionality that's needed. Um, those are going to become more and more compelling and actually will provide you probably with better solutions than you can build yourself. So now at the end of our presentation, we want to remind you that you can find other IT Showcase courses and content on a variety of topics related to how Microsoft does IT at Microsoft.com slash IT Showcase.